Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a nonprofit resource supporting eco-conscious choices at the local level. Today on our podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tom Stilley, who created, designed, and installed the Valley Wood Park Waterwise Garden Project. Tom grew up in a small town in northern Iowa. His mom was a school teacher and his dad a carpenter. They had a purple martin birdhouse in the backyard near a large veggie garden and a large productive apple tree near the house. Tom has loved birds and gardening since early childhood. After degrees from Iowa State University and San Jose State, Tom came to Reno as superintendent of parks for Washoe County in 1967. Since that time, Tom spent three years traveling around the world, taught horticulture and landscape design at Massey University in New Zealand, and for the past 35 years has been designing, building, and maintaining gardens in the Truckee Meadows area. The Valley Wood Park Waterwise Garden Project in its various phases was created as a demonstration garden to show visitors alternatives to water-hungry lawns. This park project is meant to inspire and educate our community about trees, shrubs, and flowers that can be grown in our high desert environment using half the water that lawns require. With our area experiencing less rainfall and higher temperatures, we can benefit from learning how to create beautiful urban landscapes in a more sustainable way. Welcome to the show, Tom. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Jenny. Yeah, so can you share with us a little of what inspired you originally to create a sustainable landscape architectural design company? And I know you've shared a little bit about how long you've been doing this, but maybe some of the evolution from when you came to Reno and then um, eventually you moved into creating that design company. Well, I started as a gardening company um, uh, many years ago and um and through the years, we have become more and more interested in how to create gardens using less water and yet uh, uh, create gardens that are beautiful and, uh, and appropriate for our high desert environment. And then uh, we eventually got into more the landscape architecture part where we were doing projects where we put out to bid for other landscape contractors. But eventually we realized the real fun is to not only design, but also build the garden. And then we're also real interested in, the, in maintaining our gardens. So uh, we really uh, do the design and the construction and the maintenance. And many years ago, I really recognized the importance of relating our gardens to our climate. Back in, uh, I guess it was probably 30 years ago, uh, I was on the first national xeriscape board and uh, learned the sort of the, the principles of xeriscape and actually built a garden uh, before Truckee Meadow Water Authority was, uh, was an entity when the water was still with the power company. So uh, it's been a long road, but uh, we're real happy to still be here in Reno and, uh, and still be doing some of our work here. Excellent, excellent. For um, those who may not um, already know, what are some of the unique challenges that people in Northern Nevada 
uh, area of phase one landscaping and gardening here? Well, I think our lack of rainfall, our higher, higher temperatures are uh, some of the critical factors. We have very low humidity. And uh, so I think this is an issue. I think other issues that we have, and this is not true everywhere, but so many of the places that we end up building gardens, the soil is poor. It has lots of rocks in it. Our soils are very low in organic matter. So uh, these are, I think, some of the challenges. But, you know, one of the big assets that we have is we have lots of sunshine. And we definitely have a lot of sunshine in the winter, which really provides us a lot of opportunity to, with, with uh, hoop houses and greenhouses, it's, it's quite easy for us to grow cool season crops year round here. So uh, that's something that we've been really interested in and, uh, and have been promoting and advocating for some time is for uh, homeowners to uh, to grow their own food. There's there's no way to get more fresh food than to grow it in your own backyard. And with the use of uh, altered uh, climates like hoop houses, we can uh, we can grow food year round here in the high desert. That's that's excellent. Um, I guess we don't get any more local than our backyard, do we? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So. In the practice of more earth-friendly gardening, what are some of the principles that influence your designs and choices for maintenance? One of the things that we really try to look at is understanding the site before we start, you know, designing a garden. And we go through this process where we collect two types of information. One type of information is all about where, where does the sun come from? One of the things that we always add in our plans is where noon sun is, because this is, makes such a difference comparing the high desert where my son lives in Portland, Oregon. The north side of our house is cold and, and of course, still has snow on, where the south side is much more warm. So because of a lot of our sunshine, we have to really be aware of our aspect, of what side of the fence we're on or what side of our house is on. So uh, I think that's, that's one of the real issues. The second thing is to, is to look at your soil, your wind, your views, all of those sorts of things. So that's all the information about the site. There's a whole other information, a group of information about what do you want? What do you want to accomplish? And when I teach landscape uh, planning courses for homeowners, we like to list all the things that a homeowner might like in their yard. And once we have these two kinds of information, then we can kind of develop a, a concept plan, uh, which um, integrates what you want with what you have. And so this is kind of the way that our process starts with uh, designing and building gardens. Excellent. And I would imagine that, you know, there's a lot of possibility that, you know, other than maybe room will allow, but from my understanding, Sparks and Reno have been pretty flexible in terms of allowing people to do, have chickens if they want chickens, fruit trees and vegetable gardens, et cetera. Yes, I, I think in terms of, uh, of chickens, and I don't think there's 
any more sustainable idea of homeowners uh, having chickens in their backyard. We give them kitchen scraps and they give us eggs. And they more important than the eggs is they give us their manure that we can then put in our compost operations. So that's a really valuable thing. And then of course, when they get old, we can uh, put them in the stew pot. And I, th I think there is a restriction on having roosters in the city limits. But uh, other than that, chickens are a, a wonderful, sustainable uh, practice. And two, a few years ago, Sparks did not allow chickens, but they do allow chickens now. Nice. So what gave you the idea to create the Valleywood Park Project? And can you tell us more about it? For many years, I have worked with Truckee Meadow Water Authority on transitioning mostly school lawns into more biodiverse landscapes. And when the opportunity came where we were kind of getting away from schools, we went to the Reno Park Division and looked at what areas in their park system that had large turf areas that were underutilized. And through this process, we worked with the park manager and he showed us the, the Valley Wood area, which is quite a remarkable uh, city park in that it has two drainage ways that run through it. It has a major footpath and bike path that runs right down the center of uh, the area that we ended up uh, transitioning from uh, a little bit less than an acre. And we ended up developing eight theme gardens. And one of the real unique aspects is that uh, Truckee Meadow Water Authority has given us water meters that we've installed in each of the eight uh, theme gardens. Uh, through this process, we're really getting an idea of how much water a certain group of plants need to survive and to thrive. And I think in another two or three years, we'll have some really good data on, yes, we can grow this group of plants with 12 inches of rainfall a year added. And remember, turf grass will take anywhere from 40 to 30 inches of additional rainfall or additional irrigation water to, uh, to thrive. So if we can create pollinator gardens and food forests and herb gardens with using so much less water and yet create more biodiversity in our community gardens, then we think this is a real asset. So this really gave us the opportunity to do this. And uh, we are certain thankful not only for the city of Reno and allowing us to use uh, Valleywood Park and the water that they supply, as well as Truckee Meadow Water Authority for funding uh, our activities. Excellent. I would think that um, this type of project would also be helpful to the Parks Department and other areas where there might be some additional sod that's underutilized and you could replace it and save money on water and beautify all that good stuff? Yeah, I think there are other projects. A few years ago, I know that the city was interested in transitioning from bluegrass to a grass that uses much less water that, that bluegrass would. So we can still have the, the grass and still have 
people uh, having activities on it, but uh, yet use a lot of uh, less grass. And I think they were looking at a combination of buffalo grass and blue grama, which are warm season grasses, but uh, uh, require much less cutting and will grow with much less water. So converting to pollinators is not the only thing that we, that we can do. Yeah. So how long has this install been going on since, um, since you first started planting it? Well, we started in the autumn of 2016. Okay. And uh, the first thing we did was plowed. We, we, we had a number of different treatments to transition the lawn. And one of the main things that we really want to impress on homeowners is not to take the grass out because it includes lots of organic matter and uh, it's underneath lawn is usually the soil is much better. So we usually try to rototill or plow or turn over the grass uh, in some way so that we don't lose all that organic matter. And then we convert the spray system to a drip system. And we usually do this by utilizing the same valve that they have in their home or in the park. And then we add a pressure regulator and a filter. And then right from the valve box, we convert to drip. And uh, in the eight gardens that we have at Valley Wood, two of them, we have maintained a spray system. And these are our pollinator meadow and our herb garden. And all the rest of the six gardens are drip underneath wood chips. And we've recently received two grants, one from the Whittell Environmental Grant, which is an Audubon-based grant, and then uh, Help Us Save the Bee Foundation has also given us grants to uh, really increase the public outreach aspects of the garden. So we're looking at upgrading our wayside exhibits, adding more plant labels, and bringing in QR codes so that we can really provide a lot more information that, uh, the, that people may be interested in. The other thing that, that we're doing this year is um, we have three public tours that we're promoting. And I think uh, later we will, we'll have links to those uh, dates. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, get to that shortly. So the plant you mentioned that the plants um, and things are labeled. So is there kind of a pathway that takes you around the different gardens that are there now? Yes, there's existing asphalt paths, and then we have added additional pathways through uh, various gardens. And the way we've done that is we've brought in local produced wood chips. And, and laid wood chips down real heavy so that these are the foundations of our, of our footpaths. Not all the plants are labeled, uh, probably less than maybe 15 or 20% of the plants are labeled, but this is one of the things that we'll be uh, using this grant money to further uh, public outreach and, uh, and get some of the plants labeled. Nice. So I understand some edible plants have also been incorporated into the um, park garden as well. Can you share maybe a few of the low water need edibles that grow well in our region? Sure. But first, I'd like to impress the importance 
of good soil preparation before we start planting some of our edibles. I think that we should be thinking about rotating our, our annual crops that will reduce uh, pesticide kind of uh, needs. Most of our fruit trees, once established, are pretty, pretty drought tolerant and I think would take less than half the water of the lawn. And, and that would be just apples and plums and apricots and peaches. Shrubs would include blackberries and currants, gooseberry. But of all those, I think grape, grapevines, edible grapevines, uh, seedless edible grapevines are probably the best backyard urban fruit. They're so adaptable, deep-rooted, don't take a lot of water. We can grow them on arbors, along fences. Every year we have grapes. We never lose grapes because of early spring frost. And even if we have hard early autumn frost, the grapes have enough sugar where they'll be fine. So we, we pretty much plant grapes in every project that we do. And some of the newer fruits that are drought tolerant that we're uh, experimenting with are persimmons and figs and pomegranates. And, and those are, are available and we're looking at those at Dollywood Park as well. So come on out and take a look at our food forest, which is our really the biggest garden we have there, biggest theme garden is our food forest. That's excellent. So aside from maybe offering your own services, do you have some suggestions for our listeners after they've seen the garden and want to plant some of these plants in their yards? Maybe where to purchase plants or seeds or how to learn more about local landscape design and maintenance? I always like to first think about our local nurseries. Rail City and Sparks, uh, Stone House in, in the south part of Reno, Moana Lane Nursery. These are our local nurseries, and, I, and they are certainly more knowledgeable about uh, helping homeowners choose plants. We have a really good local organic supplier just over the mountain called Peaceful Valley, where they offer a whole range of organic seeds. And, um, and we, you know, work a lot with, uh, with Peaceful Valley in terms of uh, buying seeds. And Peaceful Valley also supplies bare root fruit trees, as well as grapes, and, uh, and, and sort of the perennial vegetables like asparagus and rhubarb. Both of those are drought tolerant once established. So these, these are, I think, are the sources that, that um, are important. There's, a, I think, a number of groups that offer uh, classes. We're going to be doing more with uh, online classes for the Valley Wood Project. And I think that's a place for people to go. Uh, Reno Food Systems is another area that teaches classes. Of course, the University Master Gardener Program is a place where you could definitely learn more about gardening. Those are some of the ideas. Yeah. Um, so over the years of this install, um, can you tell us maybe some of the, the birds or other wildlife that you've observed there? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, about five years ago at Valleywood, we had a huge vole problem. Um, voles are like little mice and kind of a, a problem. The other problem that we had were rabbits. Uh, rabbits lived along the stream beds and in the willow and, uh, and shrub thickets. 
and would come out and uh, nibble and gobble up a lot of our plants. So they were they were a wildlife uh, issue. And and lastly, the coyotes would chew our drip and to get the water. And we had real issues with coyotes. Now I know this is probably not what you're asking about. The other, and then about a year and a half ago, and I didn't really see these, but we talked to people that walk through the park and, and people are generally very happy that uh, what we're doing there. And, and they were telling me about two bobcat families that were living in the area. And I think the bobcat have really helped us with the voles and with the rabbits. The other thing that we've done is we've installed high perches for predator birds, like kestrels, for example, or small hawks. And we've also have two owl houses that we installed. So we're trying to encourage owls to come to help us with our wildlife that, uh, that's kind of a problem for us. We don't seem to have deer problem, but we have spent a lot of our effort at, and a research on coming up with drought tolerant pollinator flowers that are deer resistant. So what are some of the fun birds we've seen there? Well, we've seen uh, robins and uh, Oregon juncos, our two jays, white crowned sparrows, a couple different kind of hummingbirds. We've seen, of course, hawks there. So it, it is, a, a, I think, a, a nice place to look for birds. And uh, we certainly want to encourage uh, our desirable uh, bird life there. Well, it sounds like you're kind of building a little bit more of a balanced ecosystem, whether you, know, you planned on it or not. <laughs> sounds like it's happening. Yeah, we, we are definitely creating biodiversity. That's really the key. And that's, that's the nature's key. If, uh, you know, a few years ago, we had just really hundreds of uh, these tall sunflowers. And then the voles decided that they really like sunflower roots. And so now we have very few sunflowers, but uh, we have a lot of clary sage. And, uh, and it turns out that the, that the voles don't like clary sage. So in one of our uh, spring tours, the clary sage will be in full bloom. And it's, it's a, a quite magical to uh, witness that. I bet. So for people that might find themselves still relying on synthetic herbicides and pesticides, do you have some suggestions for maybe effective alternative methods or products that might be healthier for their families, pets, and wildlife? Yes. I think we don't use any pesticides. I think the first, the first thing to consider is ones that are approved for organic production. Our approach is Crop rotation is really important, and this has more to do with growing annual veggie crops. Homeowners need to learn the different families of vegetables and then don't grow the same family of vegetables in the same spot year after year. Ideally, you rotate different crops into different areas. And what this does is break the chain of uh, soil-borne insects, for example, or, or soil-borne diseases. The other thing to keep in mind is compared to so many other places in our country and particularly in the East, we have very low humidity. So we have very little fungus problems. So I, I really don't think about fungus so much. What do we do about insects? Again, I think 
crop rotations is important. Another thing is to bring in beneficial insects that eat the insects that are causing us trouble. So there's a whole range of flowers that, that attract wasps and, and lacewings and ladybird be beetles that eat the insects that are eating our trees and shrubs. So I think this is a, you know, important. The other really important aspect is creating a favorable environment for your plants to grow. It's just humans are, are similar to plants in this way. If, if we're eating bad and we're hanging around uh, town all the time and we don't get enough sleep, we're going to be more sick than people that are eating correctly and exercising and doing yoga and, you know, whatever. So it's the same with plants. If we give plants healthy soils, we irrigate them properly, we don't put them so close together, then we're going to have less pesticide problems. And I think it's really critical for people to, to recognize uh, the importance of not using uh, dangerous poisons in our gardens. Yeah. When you've shared this park on tours and presentations, is there anything that people have found very surprising to learn? Uh, yeah, I, I think they're generally surprised at how many wonderful drought-tolerant trees, shrubs, herbaceous perennial flowers that we can grow in our high elevation areas that use half the water that turf grass does. I understand that a few of our local organizations have come together to support this project. Did you want to maybe mention a few of them? Yes, we, uh, we have a little brochure that those of you that come to the uh, farmer's market in McKinley, our year-round farmer's market, lakeside farmer's market, uh, we have our brochure there and it lists our partners, but uh, the main partner we've had over the years is the Truckee Meadow Water Authority and, of course, the City of Reno Park Division. The local food network is a 501c3 nonprofit that uh, grants that we're getting for uh, Valleywood. So the local food network is an important uh, partner. Help Save the Bee Foundation. The Northern Nevada Permaculture Group have uh, volunteered and uh, will continue, I think, to help us in some of our volunteer effort. Lahontan Audubon Society, they're particularly interested in our, in our songbird garden. Uh, Nevada Bugs and Butterflies, a river school farm, and lastly, the Sierra Garden Club. So those are, those are all of our partners, and they all participate either in uh, providing some volunteer time or a grant or uh, are just display an interest and, uh, and support us in, in their efforts. Excellent. Excellent. And you did mention that there's going to be some tours coming up this year. Um, what are going to be some of the dates to look out for this year? Well, the spring tour is May 21st. The summer tour is July 9th. And the autumn tour is September 2nd. And all the tours start at 10 a.m. and end at 11.30 a.m. And then we're trying to create volunteer opportunities a week before each of these tours, and our one of our first volunteer dates is uh, coming up soon. It's uh, 9th of March, from 10 to uh, to 11:30. That's I think on a Wednesday, and we'll be doing some sheet mulching, 
We'll have the tractor there to help with that. And uh, we're doing some spring cleanup. And also I'll be doing a short tutorial on uh, uh, tree and shrub pruning in the deciduous tree and shrub pruning for the springtime. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll include uh, information about that in the show notes and um, try to get the word out. Um, so I really want to thank you so much for creating beautiful and sustainable landscapes for our community through the years and for the Valleywood Park Waterwise Garden Project and to give us all a place where we can go and enjoy nature and see an awesome Waterwise Garden. Very good. Thank you, Jenny. And thank you for all the work you do. This is a wonderful opportunity and uh, I really appreciate the the time. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. So we will be sharing the links in the show notes so that you can learn more about the garden and self-guided and upcoming guided tours that will be held throughout the year and about Tom Stilley's landscape and design services company. For details and links mentioned in today's episode, please check out the show notes. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe at gogreenlocally.org to receive local green event monthly emails to help you stay informed about events going on in your area.